welcome to the 2019 episode one, version one of the K-Rad Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Chris with a K, and I am here with the amazing Tim Hardy. How are you doing, Tim? Good evening. I'm doing very well, Chris. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. Well, hey, I am super pumped to be back on, to have you guys here with us. Um, Tim is an amazing musician and he also has his own company that he runs called satori toys am i saying that right satori Satori toys yes perfect and this is going to be a great episode so i'm really excited um but yeah i uh i guess we wanted to just kind of get a baseline of who are you and first of all can i just compliment the fact that your entire kit that you're blessing us with right now is awesome i love your style oh thank you very much you know i'm uh trying to uh, you know dress up for the occasion of course well, we appreciate that. Actually, this is just what I was wearing today. So just, <laughs> I just always dress like this. I'm one of those people. <laughs> well, I dig the vibe. I did the vibe. Um, so a little bit of backstory. I met Tim um, uh, when I was looking for a couple locations for the Chandler International Film Festival um, going on in downtown Chandler. Um, we're looking for a couple places to screen some director's films, some indie films that we've got going on. And I met Tim um, over at this space called Gangplank. Gangplank and Chandler. What is that? Can you explain what the heck that is? Yeah, so Gangplank Chandler um, was, Gang, Gangplank as an organization was founded in Chandler about 10 years ago. Um, I've been involved with them for about eight years. Um, Chandler was the first location. They actually have a location in Queen Creek and Avondale now as well. Each one is independently run and operated. And it's basically a not-for-profit co-working space. So, you know, 10 years ago, there were no such thing as co-working spaces anywhere. And... They wanted to create a space for kind of like people who have technology companies instead of having to go to, say, the Silicon Valley. Like, oh, if you want to have a tech company, you don't, you can't be here in Arizona. You have to go to California, right? Right. So I've met a lot of great companies. I've actually been started out of Gangplank, so we, it's more technology-focused. And the idea is to have, you know, a space that companies can kind of come and startups can mingle and, you know, meet, you know, people that are kind of, you know, doing the same thing that were where they were at. You know, we just had a big startup kickoff event that was kind of like a Shark Tank type thing, except, and we actually ended up giving away $15,000 in just grants to three different businesses. That's awesome. So it sounds like an incubator. It is a, startups, it, it's an incubator, a but incubator, space. like a lot of incubators now are like, great, we're your incubator, you know, give us $10,000 and we'll help put together things for you, right? Right. Or and pay us $2,000 a month to, you know, have space. So I think the idea was really to kind of make it for, you know, people that are bootstrapping and trying to get off the ground that you don't have to have a big investment. You know, we do we have, we have a lot of people that have day jobs and, you know, they come into Game Plank, you know, either as their office, um, you know, so instead of having telecommuting, they go to Game Plank and other companies that use the space full time that actually do contribute to the space to help because it costs money to run it. You know, that actually, you know, so if you want to have desks and offices there and say, hey, you know, we got like five employees now, we're making money, we're trying to grow, then, well, yeah, we have, you know, you can get space as well and do that. Ah, that's so cool to feed the local community and just to be able to have a space for people to work. That's really The, the concept that really came up with it um, was social capital. This is the idea that, you know, instead of you maybe you can, can contribute to the space community. with money. But you can be part of the community. You can help the space if things to be done. You can help do it if you have a skill that you can contribute. You can do that. So, yeah, community. Cool. I love it. I dig it. I think that's awesome. Um, is that where Satori, Satori Toys? Can you Satori talk a little bit about Toys. that a little bit? I was digging through your Instagram, and it was 
Um, I saw the 3D printed yes. page and um, all that. So, so what, what is that? I got interested in 3D printing from Gangplank, actually. Someone donated a 3D printer, and so I taught myself how to use it and started printing things. And I have a, um, a 12-year-old son, and he always loves finding things online to print. So he'll be like, hey, let's print this. Let's print that. I'm like, okay, sure. So we started printing things. And one of the things that we printed, we got really into like fidget spinners were really popular. Right. Were these things that are called, um, they sometimes call them fidget cubes or flow cubes or infinity cubes. And I can grab one later if you want to see one. I think I have one with me. Please. That sounds um, awesome. And it's a cube that is hinged and you can fold it infinitely through itself. And I just kind of like was like, oh, this is the coolest thing. Oh, is it kind of like those? Um, have you ever seen those? I think they sell them for like uh, people that have ADD mm -hmm. and they just need a. It's like a cube that has like a switch on it and like a toggle. It's, it's kind in, of in that same kind of vein. It's in almost. that, yeah, and it's in call it either a flow toy or a fidget toy type environment. So very cool, something like that. Cool. They are popular. I did have um, a. Uh, one of my customers had a child with autism, and they had tried all the things. They tried fidget spinners. They tried the, the fidget cubes with, like, yeah, the little rolly thing on it. And she saw mine, and they, she got one for him, and she said that it's he, he likes it better than any toy he's gotten from, like, a fidget perspective to be able to have something, like, in class with him and be able to use it. Ah, that's so cool. I feel like as a kid, especially, like, in my generation, um, the whole Adderall and Ritalin thing mm -hmm. was really coming to a, the forefront of, oh, you have a kid that has hyperactivity, here's a drug, right. put him on him. And I'm not sure if that was as prominent like 20 years ago. It was. I mean, yeah, <sighs> that it was, it, it's, it's been around for a long time. Um, and it's, yeah, it's unfortunate, I think, but it's the way things are done these days, right? Unfortunately, I feel like there's a bit of a renaissance, though, and people trying to come up with alternative solutions for, you know, anxiety and for managing mental health i think in general at least i hope so that there can be a renaissance with that um you know i think there i think there is um the name satori is a japanese term that we usually translate as enlightenment or a moment of insight uh, it's from uh, zen snap. buddhism actually which i also i don't know that i don't have anything on my instagram but i do have pictures going back many years ago i actually got really interested in what i'd call consciousness studies things like meditation and yoga and things like that. And Satori is one of the toys I kind of got from that. So I thought, oh, Satori toys, this is like, you know, something you can get like kind of like that flow state going. Right. And I think that um, the whole concept of forcing yourself to deal with your thoughts and to find a way to block out those negative thoughts and the anxiety, it's almost mm -hmm. like meditating is like doing an arm curl or like a bench press for your mind when it comes to like mind over matter and pushing yourself through to a higher plane of, um, you know, just overall quality of life. Because I feel like you can be your best friend or your worst enemy, and you never spend any more time with anyone else in the whole world than yourself. So how you talk to yourself and how you treat yourself, I think, is is very important. With, and meditating helps a lot. Well, it's helped me. Yeah. Once you it depends how you define meditation and what um, I think that they found. Um, at least I found for myself is when I was doing that, I would actually go to monasteries and like do like, you know, anywhere from one day to seven day retreats where I'd just be going and sitting with monks ah, for, so cool. it's called, you know, it's called monastic, like you're basically Buddhist monastic practice. And what I found is that 
you kind of get out of the point where you're literally talking to yourself and you kind of start observing things instead. It allows you to not be as reactionary to things that are going on in your life. You just can kind of sit and observe them and go, oh, okay, well, it bothers me or doesn't, but I don't have to jump up and like run off and do something about it right now. I need to do that. <laughs> I definitely need to do that. I, uh, I feel like... I was talking about this the other day. Uh, well, you, do, you do music, though. I do right? music. That's my... So, so here's the thing. So the state um, of flow states um, is... They, they've documented this in, in, medi- in like looking, doing like MRI studies and like the EEG studies and things and meditating monks. And what they found is that these states are similar no matter what the activity is. It's the focused activity of being in that, what we call in the West flow states. Got it. Right? So that's what people really crave. And I found that what really connected me actually to playing didgeridoo and playing music was as soon as I would start playing, I'd be like, this is practice space, right? This is practice headspace. It's yes. like you can kind of just drop into those. Because what, what we say we want meditation, what we say we want is to kind of turn off that monkey mind momentarily where we're not worrying about the groceries we have to buy or the dishes that have to be washed or what happened at work today or what's going to happen tomorrow. We just kind of... The day-to-day anxiety. The day-to-day, yes. Yeah, all yeah. Of those little things that pins and needles. And I agree a thousand percent because when you're in flow with, like even if you're just jamming and you're in flow and you're in sync like with the other Especially artists, when you're that jamming. That is phenomenal. That's especially like when jamming. And you're just like... Ah, yes, peak experience, right? Peak, yeah, peak experience. Um, that's awesome. That's awesome. And I, I agree with you a thousand percent. And I think that's really cool. Um, you know, the fact that you've gone on and done the meditative for that, like that long in terms of like the monk monastery situation. That's, that was a whole, that that, that was a really intense intense. part of my life. Yeah. I mean, that was just like intense. Like I was talking about going completely like auditory blind for like not listening to podcasts, not listening to mm-hmm. audiobooks, not listening to music for like a week. And then that's I thought about yeah. it. And I was like, that's a long time. That's yes. a long because I listen to music like there's always something in the background for the most part throughout my day. There's like moments throughout my day where like it's not there. Yeah. But going for a week long, just without music, everything else, fine. But then I thought about doing that of like going for a day or seven days with no electronics no outside stimulus and i feel like it would be really refreshing and reset re, like reset but like what does that do to you mentally like you know it's got to be a gymnastics what i found at least in myself when i was really when I was doing those things is it takes you a little while to come back um the way one zen teacher put it is that doing a retreat like that is basically like emptying out your apartment Right, okay, we're just going to take everything and move it out, and now when you come back to yourself, you can say, "What do I want to put back in it?" Mm. It's like emptying your cup to fill it back up. Exactly. If your you cup is if your cup flavor. is full, you can't, you know, but nothing else will fit. That's where the whole concept of like the emptiness and things like that that kind of come from. I remember, I stay by the mic. Take notes out there. I think we could all use a little. A little emptying. something a little bit more positive a little bit more self-love self-care yeah so that's huge man that's awesome yeah tell me a little bit more about your experience with the didgeridoo where did that passion come from and where do you see that you know progressing i guess for yourself 
Um, let me think here. So I started playing the didgeridoo about nine years ago. A good friend introduced me to them. And then I uh, met a maker that actually made agave didgeridoos here in Arizona. And he invited me over and I, he had, I don't know, 20 or 30 didgeridoos that he had made out of the agave cane, the agave stock. Tequila. Yeah, it's the same thing they make tequila out of. Awesome. Um, although with tequila, they actually have to kill it before it can actually get to that point. All the sugar that you get in the agave plant that, that would goes to make tequila is actually for growing that giant stock they make. Interesting. So that's I've the last thing. I've been on a tequila thing. farm in Mexico, but yeah. never went that deep. Yeah, I've actually been in one also. In the city <laughs> called Tequila. The city well, was I, called I, Tequila. I went, the city was called Tequila, yeah. This, I went to the Salsa Plantation, actually. It was kind of, uh, it was fun. I love Mexico. I've only ever been to Puerto Vallarta, uh, uh, Rocky Point, Puerto Penasco, um, and then just like pass through a couple of their towns. But every time I go, people are so nice. And there's so much fun stuff to do, and dollar goes further, which is cool. And it's just a nice escape, and it kind of puts things back mm-hmm. in perspective. And it's not too far away. Yeah, from us. that's a. I, I like Mexico. Actually, I have a lot of friends who've been doing performances down in Rocky Point, and I've heard that's a. That seems like they always enjoy their performances down there. So wrecked at the very good things. That, that sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah that place? I think yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that place. I've got a couple of friends over spring break that that's like it was like you either go to Lake Havasu. Or Rocky Point, or wherever the hell out in Florida, but those two places are definitely the hub for spring break. And I remember my friend telling me, he's like, "Yeah, it was incredible, bro. There was like five dollars and unlimited drinks." He's like, "I had like." <laughs> that's great if you <laughs> like, like getting really drunk. Yeah, right? I guess that's that's if that's your bag. Yeah, check out Rocky Point for spring break. Um, but yeah, so um, I just kind of so yeah, I kind of I I he had heard that I was interested in playing, and I'd kind of like hadn't learned how to circular breathe yet and that's a big part of playing the didgeridoo mm-hmm. is called circular breathing so with that you need to breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth rhythmically to create a continuous tone so interesting that i basically picked up in like i he gave me three didgeridoos to take home with him and or with me and i took him home for like a week or two and said okay i like this one i want to buy this one and Went back and he gave me another lesson. I learned how to circular breathe that night, which I guess is very unusual. Most people can you take explain some circular breathing? That just I can't wrap my head around that. What do you mean with circular breathing? Does it have to go around? I'm envisioning you having to blow so around the tube. What you do is you actually instead of mouth, you have mouth breathing and nose breathing. Like that's breathing, mouth breathing, right? You can breathe in and out through your nose. Right? Or you can breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. Got it. Right? So circular breathing, that's all you're doing is doing short, quick breaths. If you take shorter breaths and breathe quickly, you're going to have a fast rhythm. If you breathe slowly, you're going to have a slower rhythm. If you go too far, you'll just literally pop off the end of the didgeridoo because you're out of breath. It would be like... And all of a sudden, you can need wow. to breathe. So it's kind of like if you've ever been drinking a substance or something, or drinking a whatever, and you've breathed in through your nose while you're drinking something. Uh, yeah. Like this, yep. this similar. Yep. You, you are kind of using your, your belly and your cheeks as kind of like a balloon. It's almost like bagpipes, except you're the bag, right? You have to be able to 
briefly take a short breath. So that's cool. That really connected me actually to my meditation practice because one of the things they say when you're meditating is your your mind wanders off, right? Come back to your breath. And actually one of the most basic practices they teach you is just counting your breaths from one to 10. And you'll find it's even hard sometimes to even do that. You'll get to five or six and then lose track and be like, oh crap, I'm like, blah, 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 right? Right, the thoughts. The thoughts come back in. in. Yep. And so you just start back at one. And so it kind of connected me to that state, to that kind of flow state of being able to go, okay, well, I'm just doing this, right? And the thoughts may come in or out and you just ignore them and just play. So I was just doing it as like meditation, literally. And I was just carrying didgeridoo with me. And I started playing for my friends. They're just like, you're really good. You need to go perform. I'm like, I've been playing like three months at this point. (laughs) I'm like, I'm not going to go perform. I'm literally playing three months. And people kept telling me that. So I started going to open mics. Ah, that's awesome. And meeting bands. And all of a sudden, you know, there were bands going, hey, that's really cool. Why don't you come, you know, what key can you play? Can, you know, we're doing the song in E or D. Can you, like, come and, you know, jam with us? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So I started, like, doing live performances with bands. And, of course, meeting the great musical community we have here in Arizona. No, I know. And that's what I was going to say is, like, there's got to be a short list of didgeridoo players in Arizona. There, there aren't many of us that at least um, that are like stage performers. Right? And it's such a cool sound. Like I'm excited to hear you play because it's one of my favorite things. It gives you that ASMR. Ooh, it's so om- ooh, it's so ominous. And... Yes. That's just third singing, but... <laughs> <laughs> But we'll let the instrument make the noise. But yeah. no, I think that um, it's really cool with what you're doing. And I was really intrigued, too, because we kind of connected um, over a beer or two over at The Perch. And um, we're talking about kind of the evolution of a regular um, like live band performance and how mm-hmm. a lot of that now has incorporation elements of electronic music. And I thought it was even so interesting that like the one didgeridoo player that I've ever found in my entire life is also dabbling in electronic music and how that's, yes, you yeah. know, that crossover from the natural instrument sound to incorporating electronic elements for that to be more current and prevalent, I think is something that a lot of other bands and a lot of other musicians are starting to accept more easily into their hearts. There's still a lot of purists, obviously, but... I talk about it all the time on the podcast and I think that it's so cool because your brain craves something different. And if you can switch it up to something you've never heard before by combining those elements of the electronic music, like a synthesizer or, you know, a live played loop that you're doing, that takes talent to do. And I think that when you incorporate those two, it's really cool. Well, thank you. I I appreciate the feedback. And, you know, I'm been doing that type of live performance and also because of my background with playing in live bands it's being able to you know have bring musicians on or be able to jam and do those things and i think there's actually something really special about when you're jamming with a band and really actually get in sync with each other that's just kind of magical it's the best like when everyone is like in their flow state Mm -hmm. with their instrument and it's in the pocket and everyone's hitting on time and it just you can feel it it feels different when you're playing and it's almost like you can't quite hear all of the elements because they're all blended so perfectly and then when you're in it 
the feeling of that is just incredible. So, yeah. Yeah, good stuff. I did want to know what your opinion of using music as therapy and as a tool um, to help with mental awareness, mental healing. And we already talked about it a little bit with kind of like the yoga and the enlightenment mm-hmm. um, kind of aspect of getting into those flow states. But I noticed on your Facebook, you were saying that you're a music healer and, you know, wanted to know a little bit more about what your perceptions are as using music as a healing effect for people, um, who it could help, what that could be applied to. Well, I think music in general is healing just for everybody. And one of the things when I first started playing, I was playing more yoga studios and things like that. So we do what they would call, you know, sound healings where we would, you know, go and I'd uh, either be playing with didgeridoo and singing bowls or I had some collaborations I did with a um, couple people that were gong masters, which made what? some incredible, incredible <laughs> magic, like <laughs> magic, like, yes, yeah, so having like two, three, you know, 50 inch <laughs> gongs and having those play and then playing didgeridoo like over people. Yes. And it was, it was really fun and I'm going, gosh, this is great, but you know, it's such a small venue, you know, you're literally, I'm like trying not to step on people as I'm like walking around. Right. And when you're doing a live music venue, you can have as many people as can fit in the place, which could, you know, and it really, I wanted to combine kind of, how do you take that type of sound, quote unquote, sound healing and yoga sound healing and um, sound uh, therapy type experience and bring that into a mainstream venue. Right, the ones that has rock bands and electronic music and things right. like that. And that's what I kind of have done with Manifest Sound was to take and combine like singing bowls and didgeridoo and uh, electronic music elements as well and keep it as a live experience. So actually, you know, doing everything is live. So doing live looping and do things. I don't use a laptop on stage. It's all literally live production and live performance. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. I love that. There's a difference between pressing play on a laptop and looping something live. Yes. Yeah. Not to take away from that, but I respect that a little bit more. I think that's cool. Um, well, I've seen, and I have seen some people mean? that do some pretty amazing live electronic performances. Like, I mean, where they're not just hitting play and playing someone else's music, but they're actually producing. It's all music that they've written and produced or they're, or they're entirely live mixing it where they're saying, yep. okay, here's all my tracks. And yes, I have Ableton. Yes, I have a laptop. Um, uh, e. Allo is a local artist. It's really, really neat. Um, ambient. What's his name again? Uh, her name is E. Allo. E. Allo. E dash Allo. A-L-O. Very cool. And she's uh, done a few shows with her. Um, and yeah, she does all her own composition. Then does like 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 a live Ableton performance where she mixes everything on the fly, and it's like really cool stuff. No, that's awesome. Have you uh, ever heard? Um, I think it's FKJ is his name, um, and he does. I don't think so. That's like so local? cool, man. Yeah, I'll have to send you. I'll post a link. Post a link. Yeah, I'll post a link. on, yeah. the, on the YouTube, but um, it's the same situation where it's like he'll start off with uh, a simple beat on the loop and then he'll go pick up a bass mm-hmm. and then he'll loop the bass line and then he'll go over to the piano loop yeah the piano yeah i dig that stuff and then he'll grab like a like the uh freaking saxophone yeah. and just rip oh nice and like that is so cool and that's something that 
I think is really unique and new in its own space, just with the advances in looping technology and just in, you know, production quality, I think in general, um, you know, in these, the recent years, I think like Tosh Sultana on the guitar, do you know who that is? Nope. Sorry. <laughs> ah, you love her, man. She's so awesome. I found her. She's like, there's this video. It's like, it went viral. Like, I think that's how she got discovered, but it's just her loop station on some crates and her in her living room. And she just loops her first like uh, melody guitar. And then once that's done, then she loops over a couple other like accent notes mm-hmm. on the guitar with like a different effect. And then she comes in and then she loops in a beat with it on her looper and then she starts just wailing on it and adjusting. And it's just, it's so complicated because I've tried looping myself and it's to get everything in time like that and syncopated and layered on top of each other is so hard. It's so difficult. It, it takes a lot of practice. I remember when I first started doing looping, I remember always thinking, gosh, this, this, this is off. Like the timer's off or the beat's off. I'm going, oh, wait, no, I'm off. <laughs> these are machines, these are highly machines, precise machines. And I'm not going to argue with it. Like you can't argue with a click track, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, not. No. Unfortunately, not. But yeah, I think I think it's a, I think live looping and looping in general is a great just a performance tool to get ideas that are in your head out, right? Right. No, because it's as a a person that might not have a full band to practice with all the time, or if you just want to get a quick idea down and finish writing, like how else are you gonna unless you have a laptop and GarageBand or some kind of production studio. If you have a looper pedal, you could literally write, you know, your rhythm and your lead on the guitar or, you know, multi-layer instrument situation, depending on what your setup is. So well, you could not only write it, you could perform it by yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, a thousand percent. Have you ever been to those like, uh, restaurants that do live music or they've got, um, it's like a guy in a corner with his own PA yep. and he's got a loop station and he plays for like two and a half hours and it's like all cover songs, but it's really good. Like depending on where you go, like, but these guys have got it down now with these loop stations. Yeah. Yeah. It's like can, one man band. That's one man band thing now. Right. And I guess I, I someone, I was uh, playing and a friend of mine who was playing after me was wa- walking in with his like a uh, like wife or girlfriend or whatever. And, and he's like telling, he's like, yeah, I was telling her, like, we're coming in. And he's like, oh, we got to get in there. I can hear Tim. He's playing now. <laughs> and they hadn't seen me yet. And his girlfriend was like, well, who's playing with him? He's like, no, that's all him. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. I can just imagine, like, if someone hadn't seen you in, like, a long time. And, like, they just, like, you know, like you invite him to a show or something. And you're yeah. just, like, decked out in, like, a robe. And there's, like, black neon lights. And your beard is, like, braided. And you're just, yeah. like, yeah, it's like all this zombie. Like, how awesome is that to walk into? You know, I mean, like a, a friend who was in a cover band for years and came out and saw me play, and he was like, "Wow, yeah, you, you like got everyone dancing. Like, we had a really hard time doing that." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, cool. I'm glad they liked it. Thank you." <laughs> no, different kind of talent, I think. But yeah, that's that's really cool. I want to run into a new segment that we're trying out for this year in 2019. And that is explain the gram. And I was digging through your social media (laughs) and I saw this random video of you at a banana gun show. And for those of you that don't know who banana gun is, they're an amazing local band here in Phoenix. They're super talented musicians. I've never had the pleasure of meeting them. I'd love to have them on sometime, but all the feedback I've gotten is that they just, 
put together an awesome show and their sound is great. And it was kind of a little like a little woozy. So I wasn't sure like what's what's the deal? Explain the grant. What was going on? Um, you know, I, I absolutely love those guys. I mean, like I've known them. They're one of the first bands that I met when I started playing didgeridoo. They invited me on stage and actually played a couple songs at several shows with them. They're doing this song called How, which the uh, lead singer had jokingly said that he wanted a thousand didgeridoos on it and they were recording it and they didn't know anyone that played didgeridoo and then they met me and then and this was like probably two or three albums ago for them right right so then I'm like I'm just playing Health you guys and yeah. Yeah. Man, Playboy Man Baby um there's such a vibrant scene in Phoenix of artists that we have to choose mm-hmm. from in just so many different genres but I feel like they their sound represents a basic like tribal phoenix desire it's an, i don't know if that makes yeah, sense yeah it's an interesting thing those guys um ever to haymarket squares no they're uh, kind of a uh punk grass band sick. folk punk type stuff sick. yeah so yeah those guys are uh, those guys are great also from like a phoenix perspective and kind of i like, think of people that are really kind of creating a real cool original music in Phoenix, right? Mm-hmm. So, and we have everything here, so it's kind of cool. I like, I like, I really do like the Phoenix area, and I've been, uh, been in, in Tempe for about eight years now, and I, I was almost ready to move back to California, and then I found Tempe, and I'm like, okay, I found, I found community, I found the the crowd here that's cool. So, yeah, Tempe's awesome. So ASU and like just the whole city landscape and then when you connect with the right people i just love college towns like who doesn't love a good college town they're like, they're interesting because they, the, they have the college there they also have like a naturopathic hospital that's hosting a psychedelics conference in like oh like this year microdosing. i have a buddy that's doing that no, the, no there, there's a there's microdosing a, on uh psilocybin mushrooms and that's well, been the trend for a lot of entrepreneurs. I've heard, I've heard about Valley. the whole microdosing thing. I've heard, I've heard some podcast about microdosing. It's like it's getting really popular now. Yeah, it's supposed to. Um, from what I understand from it is that you you take a small dose of um, the mushrooms to where it's not where you feel like you're on any kind of substance, but it's enough. It's almost like if you're to like think of your consciousness of like an iceberg and like if you took a certain amount, it would be apparent in like on your iceberg or whatever, like where you could see it. Um, but you just microdose to where it's beneath the surface. So your brain still feels the effects, but it's not, it doesn't have the psychoactive effects that people always talk about. Um, yep, there's, a, there's a whole organization that's working on legalization now for it actually, yeah. which is pretty, mm-hmm. so I do, I definitely support, you know, if they put it to a vote, I'll vote for it. Right. Yeah. You know, I think, um, as long as it's not hurting anyone and it's going to promote, like if you can look at the positive side effects of, uh, a substance that's natural comes from the earth yep. and you know, it does something to help people. And if it's like, I think they're even looking at ketamine for PTSD right now. They have for, ketamine um, clinics in soldiers. Arizona here now, actually. And, what's that? They have ketamine clinics for soldiers and, or for, for people with. PTSD and trauma, they actually do ketamine therapy. It's not covered by insurance, but they actually have legal. It's like it's legal. You can go and they do basically a microdose of ketamine and observe you for a little while. And it's supposed to help with PTSD. I haven't tried that myself. I'm what I actually know what I'm interested in. Be fine. 
um, the uh, way that sensory deprivation tanks are gaining popularity now. Mm-hmm. True rest places, right? These are places that you can literally go into a sensory deprivation tank, which I haven't tried that either. That's I want to try that, that seems, too. I've never done that. That seems pretty interesting. Because it's, it's a disassociative. Like a lot of um, you know, <clears throat> certain psychoactive substances, some people have said that you know there's that level of disassociation that comes from that. And if you can do that naturally and it has therapeutic qualities, like why the heck not? And I think that's right. just at the forefront of like aiding in the enlightenment of your understanding your body and yourself and your mind and having all of those be interconnected. Oh, there's, they do call those things. Yeah. I mean, the experiences I had during meditation at times, you know, were pretty trippy. I mean, like, it was like you would you would kind of have what they call a they call them stateless or selfless states, where you do temporarily drop away for a second, and then you're back, and you go back and go, and you come back and you're like, oh, oh wow, that was really cool, right? That's the the peak experience stuff. They actually right. say one of the big things they talk about a lot in, um, the in actual monastic training is they say you're not supposed to attach to peak experience, right? Because then you're always chasing something. Right, chasing that next high. Yeah. Don't do that. Um, no, I agree. I felt that with um, acupuncture mm, Yeah. in the ear. It's gotten like a similar... That sounds pretty intense. I don't want a needle, needle stuck in my ear. Maybe on the outside. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. I'm going to be honest. I was at um, a festival or like a fair and there was a free like booth and I'd always wanted to try it. And I was like, oh, this seems cool. Thinking that they're going to like do my arm or like my leg or something yeah. or whatever, like my shoulder. And then the next thing I know, they're like, all right, lean back. And then it's like, to <laughs> the ear. And yeah, I think, I think, you know, in, 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 in if free is before acupuncture or sushi, I'm out. <laughs> it's that's like just, the buy one, get one free Yeah. It's like, no, <laughs> no. I, t- I thought of getting LASIK actually. And they told me I was not a good candidate. So my pupils were too large. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. I had one. I checked two different doctors. One said no. The other said, well, we can do one eye, and that way if you go blind, you still have one good eye. And I'm like, I'll just wear glasses. I think I'm good. I'm good. Thank I you. I'm good. Yeah. 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 No, I can wear contacts, wear glasses. I'm good. Yeah. I wear contacts. Hmm. I never take mine. Like, I take them off. Man, I have a brutal... My, um, have you ever scratched your cornea with them? Uh, no, thankfully. But uh, I I've, knew I've someone, done that. I knew someone that worked at an eye place... And like an eye um, ophthalmologist place, <clears throat> and they had a patient come in that literally never took their contacts off for an entire year. That's bad. Yeah. yeah. And when they came in, they took the contact off. They had to literally peel it off with like a like with tweezers. Yeah. And when they peeled it off, the entire iris turned white. Yeah. So all the bacteria like like stuck in. Yeah, there's, well, there's something, uh, here's your, here's your public service announcement, right? So if you wear contacts, try to take them out at least once every few days, preferably once a night. Um, otherwise what will happen is I used to, I I had one month contacts. So these were literally how these were FDA approved to, to wear them for 30 days at a time and then throw it out and put a new contact in. That's still sketchy. I would take them out. And so then I had a doctor tell me, an ophthalmologist tell me, no, you, you do not want to do that. It's really hard on your eyes actually, even though they're, they say you can do that. I, I don't recommend it. But what happened is that 
my eyes were really dry and I went to take out my contact lens and the contact stuck to my eye and scratched my eye, like the ah. scratched my cornea. So yeah, I had to, and I was actually at the time, I didn't even have glasses. Like I literally did not own a pair of glasses at the time. And I was on vacation in California and wow, it was like, like, like yeah. And so I went to like a one hour place and they said, yeah, you'll be fine. I literally could look at my eye and look like a, a piece of like, you know, sandpaper just going and yeah, just felt like you constantly had like dirt in your eyes. Like this sucks. That's awful. So yeah, after that, I got a lot more careful and I tried to take my contacts out at least every other day or so. And lately I've just been wearing glasses and have if I do sports or something, I'll throw a pair of contacts in. But for the most part, I don't mind having the glasses now. Yeah. I like to switch it up. It's weird because your eyes definitely change over time. So it's like if you don't go in for your checkups or whatever, then um, you're like, I think I'm seeing all right. But then you don't realize until you go in and you're like, wow, I actually have not been seeing right even with contacts for like the yeah. last like three months. So get your eyes checked. Get your eyes checked. Get your eyes checked. Take out your contacts. I see you. So <laughs> this is the part of the podcast where we ask, what's the rad? What's the rad, man? So I uh, am having this be a new segment that we're going to try and incorporate to every single podcast because the K-Rad Radio podcast is all about anything and everything that's rad, primarily focusing on music because I'm a musician and artist and I truly feel that in order for us to become a more evolved society, that there's something locked inside of music in that connectivity of the fact that you don't need, like music breaks down every barrier known to man. When you have a concert, it doesn't matter what social class, what race, ethnicity, um, gender, everyone is just there for the collaborative experience because they like the music because of the vibrations that these people are putting together. That's what sound is. And I feel that that is at the core <clears throat> something that we need to evolve into a more um, enlightened society. And that's definitely part of the reason why I wanted Tim on here because I feel like you connect with that and oh, a lot of musicians do. But I wanted to get your take. What's the rad? What's what's your deal? Boy, that's, that's a tough question, man. <laughs> Let's see. You know... I think just trying to be really present when you're playing music or whether you're being, you know, just in a normal job or whatever, just trying to take everything and just not allow it to beat you down, you know, don't allow, you know, the world to get out you too much and distract you from whatever your purpose happens to be for being here. Right. I think music is a great, extension of that because it allows you to disappear into an activity and kind of step the ego and you know not be in that thinking place for a while so um i think for ad for this year i'm working on some new manifest sound material i'm actually got a new studio and i'm doing some work and possible collaborations with some people that include uh, violins and cellos and things like that so there might be some two or three piece band uh things coming out this year which i'm excited about ah, awesome um we're really hoping to get some another we are hologram i don't know if we talked about we are hologram yet or earlier yeah, not, explain but... um we are hologram and and um manifest sound a little bit for those that aren't too familiar 
So Manifest Sound is my, my solo music project, and it's where I play didgeridoo, and then um, it's kind of combining sound healing with electronic music. It's generally in the more kind of like mid-tempo, down-tempo stuff. And I do it as a, a live loop performance, um, and the We Are Hologram, on the other hand, is kind of more traditional music in a way, in that there's nothing electronic about it. Um, but we're doing pretty interesting kind of more orchestral arrangements. So we, we have a cello, we have violin, we have rhythm guitar and piano. And that started last year um, as part of, we, we did a couple songs, our original songs for a play called The Goblin King City, which was based yes. on the movie Labyrinth. Just done ah. by before, yes. Shout out to Bowie. Shout out to Bowie, Yeah. So the uh, the song we do is called Derek Starchild, and it's a, basically it was inspired in a dream about David Bowie from Richard Nihil, who's a I Am Hologram, who's another awesome. local musician here, and was a, one of the writers. So he wrote like the lyrics and a piano part for it. Just like came like he had this dream about David Bowie and then like wrote this song. Wow, and it's that's been, powerful. So it's kind of it's kind of it's really cool. So we were in the studio. Um, earlier this year and hopefully we'll be uh, that's getting mixed now and we're going to be doing like either a single and then maybe like a little CD release for you. we have two more songs we're working on right now so hopefully we'll get like four or five done like an EP length by the end of the year that's awesome man so that's exciting that's awesome and are you recording most of that over at the Phoenix Conservatory of Arts uh, we are yeah so very far cool. so far very cool alright man well hey I appreciate you coming on the show thank you so much I am excited because the next part of this is that we're going to actually hear the didgeridoo. So we're going to set that up. But in the meantime, we're going to go ahead and sign off for right now. And we'll insert that clip here for you um, at some point during the podcast. And Tim, thank you so much. Chris, you're welcome. Thank you very much. That was a pleasure. This has been the K-Rad Radio Podcast. First episode, 2019. Tim Hardy, Manifest Sound, Satori Toys. Phoenix local artist, elevating the music scene and consciousness near one ear at a time. So thankful for you to come on and hell yeah.